What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. We've got a very special episode for you guys today. Returning back to the show is special guest Corey LeBeau. Hey, Sam, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. It's Friday. It's Friday after a pretty tough week for the Dubs. Goodness gracious. Yeah, man. Um, Two back-to-back losses. I guess that's kind of implied in the back-to-back. A lot to talk (laughs) about here. You know, big letdown game against the Indiana Pacers at home. 104 to 112. No Andrew Wiggins. Um, but Pacers missing Halliburton and Miles Turner. And then um, on the road against Utah, the just absolute meltdown at the end of the game. Um, No Curry, no Draymond, no Wiggins, but Dubs fighting back into it despite getting into a hole kind of early in the fourth, um, only to just kind of collapse in the final Final seconds, um, failing to execute. A lot of things to talk about here. Um, we're kind of at the one-third mark of the season, 26 games in for the Warriors. Um, sitting at 10th in the West, which <laughs> I think is not quite where we want to be. I think this is kind of more <laughs> or less where the Warriors were last time we talked. Uh, kind of yeah. like at the bottom of the West. Um yeah yeah man it has been tough to watch it seemed for a while after we chatted they went on a run it's they rejiggered the rotations it seemed like they were figuring some things out but right now sam this team is having a really hard time winning close games and that's with the starters in with the starters out all of the stuff it's really concerning that this you would think that a championship caliber team would be able to win in crunch time and in the clutch time. But they're actually giving those games away to good teams, to bad teams, to all the teams. So they've got to figure out how to get back to win these close games because this is giving very 2021 play-in vibes right now. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's it's really hard because, you know, I, I, I I'm with you. I totally agree, and, you know, I, I want to – I'm sure a lot of Warrior fans out there, um, and for good reason, are feeling kind of down in the dumps about the Warriors and where <laughs> they stand and how they feel about this team, you know, making another another finals appearance or trying to make a deep playoff run. Um, but when you take a, a step back and you look at their last 13 games, including these two very disappointing losses... Um, the Warriors are eight and five in their last 13 games, which is in like a f- six way tie or seven way tie for the fourth best record in that stretch of games. So mm-hmm. you've got the Brooklyn Nets, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, the Bucks, and the Suns that are all eight and five in their last 13 games. And, you know, really should have had two of those wins. So mm-hmm. you would, if you credit them, you know, and say they're ten and three, they'd actually be tied with the with the New Orleans Pelicans as the second hottest team. Boston's eleven and two in that stretch. So there's certainly a lot of gaps and holes um, that need to be corrected. And and you highlighted one of the biggest things and most disappointing or surprising things, I guess, is failure to execution in crunch time. You know, one thing is just not even having a chance to be there at the end of the game. Um, but if it's like within five points, within five minutes in the fourth, you'd kind of expect the Warriors to be able to make the, you know, make the right plays, execute down the stretch and take care of games. And this isn't a case of like, oh, well, Steph Curry's missed 10 of these games. And sure, you've you've been shuffling guys in and out of the lineups and you've got all these back to backs that the Warriors have played and Clay Thompson sitting sitting out some of those and. And then you've got Wiggins missing the last few games. Um, the case of of Steph Draymond and Wiggins sitting out in Utah. But for the most part, you've had 
you know, you, you had Dante miss that good chunk of games earlier in the season, but we're not even really looking at that in these last 13. Um, for the most part, you've had most of the roster intact. So I'm with you there, but also I'm kind of silver lining, you know, <laughs> five playing at the same, uh, you know, playing on par with the Cavs, with the Bucks, with the Grizzlies, you know, basically the hottest other teams in the East and the West is certainly not as bad as the 13 and 13 record 10th in the West looks um, when you just kind of look at their record at a whole. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, like, and they're miles beyond where they were when it, they were three and seven at the beginning of the season, they went completely winless on that first road trip. They're, they figured some things out. It's just interesting that even as they've refigured some things, they're still having a hard time winning these close games. You know, on that first road trip, there was a lot of talk about, man, the bench is just killing us. The starters have the best, have the best net rating. The bench has the worst net rating. And they were saying it's really hard, even though those are winnable games against Charlotte and Detroit and all of that. It's hard to get the momentum back when the other team has all of it, even when you've got your championship caliber players. But these recent losses haven't been that. The bench hasn't been that atrocious. In fact, we can talk about how current team have kind of figured out some things on the bench including freaking jonathan kaminga who has been coming up really big that's very exciting it's just it is concerning to watch like championship pedigree teams like have a hard time closing against indiana you know like what's going on there yeah and that's you make some you make some solid points you know i think the the we're past the pitfalls of the second unit um, of mm-hmm. early season where doesn't matter if we have a lead or not, you know, if we get off to a good start, you know, start of the second quarter or end of the first quarter, when you start bringing in all the subs, it's like the other team goes on a 10 run. I think we're past that point in yeah. um, the adjustments made, bringing Draymond off the bench, Wiggins off the bench, Clay off the bench at times to be in that second unit and I feel like they have more cohesion and chemistry um, and playing a little bit more consistent to not give up those runs. Uh, it was certainly good against Utah to see the same, right? Because there was no Draymond Green. It didn't really feel like there was a significant drop-off with any unit on or off the floor. Um, it just seemed like, you know, Utah was just hitting a ton of threes and and we were just kind of a step behind in the shooting department. Um and yeah, I think, you know, failing to execute is just, is just tough. I think one of the things that it comes down to is we're the repeating, you know, the reigning champs and everyone's seems like everyone's a lot hungrier to play us than we are to play them. Um, these wins, mm-hmm. these regular season wins and losses, we're just not seeing guys get up for the moment. Um, like we've kind of come to, to know and expect them to, those quintessential Draymond Green plays down the stretch, um, which we saw, I think, against Houston, and uh, you know, before this last this last two games that we dropped, we starting to see that a little bit, where like, you know, Draymond gets a block, and then next time we get a steal, or we come on, you know, like mm-hmm. three, three minute stretches where the opposing team just can't execute a thing. Um, and whether we're scoring or not, we've just totally stepped up the defense and we're we're conceding nothing. Um, haven't seen as much of that. And then just like weird little things like Andrew Wiggins seems like he just can't keep his man in front of him. He's just giving up blow buys. Um, yeah. he's, still re- he's still doing a really good job getting out on the perimeter and contesting shots, but it just seems like guys are able to get to the rim at will against us. Um, totally. They still... Sam, they still haven't found their defensive identity. And I think Draymond Green's been great this year, offensively and defensively. And ever since he had that meeting with Clay, they had that team meeting to try to figure out what the heck is going on. It seems like he's got his voice back a little bit. And I was hoping that would fix some of that defense. But there might just be some roster issues when it comes to to their defense and their team defense that – I'm not going to say are insurmountable. I think if once you get into like the playoff environment, everyone's going to step up their intensity and their discipline. But right now they're having a really hard time and, you know, losing Wiggins for that game against Indiana, you start pool with Stephen clay and that small lineup, which was so like renowned in the playoffs 
is getting torched right now. They can't do anything with it because they can't keep any guy in front of them. So they've got some work to do on that end. Yeah, and I think the challenge also is making that adjustment from playoff from playoff and, and Western Conference finals and, and finals ball back to regular season ball, right? Just getting whistled for all these fouls, like being mm-hmm. one of the worst teams in, in fouls committed per game. So you feel like you're trying to play this this hard-nosed defense and you're just getting whistled for all these ticky-tacky little fouls. You take a step back and it's almost like now you feel like you can't even play defense anymore. Um, yeah. Which isn't really an excuse for a team that's had so much experience going to the finals. It's like, this isn't your first time going to the finals and then making the adjustment back to regular season. Hoops. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's something, right? And then... Um, Man, Clay Thompson couldn't make a layup against Utah. We're, I think Clay. I think we're gonna have to to bring back the clayups issue. The clayups. <laughs> how time. many how many shots at the rim did he have? Some that were just wide open. They just kind of head scratchers. Like, come on, man, you can make that. Yeah, it's uh, Clay. You know, love that man. It is getting a little difficult to watch. He had that great streak for a while where it was like, oh, great. He had his like little moment. He figured it out. It happened kind of last year too, where, he, where when he first came out, he was dominating so much of the offense, and he was like, "Oh right, I'm play. I can play within the offense. Offense shots are gonna open up for me." And I thought that was gonna happen this season, but he seems to be working back from it. He's still, he's still trying to do his best in terms of getting into game shape. And if he doesn't figure it out soon, I'm not sure what shot this team has to beat like a full strength Boston team, for example. Because Clay, it's not just his shooting, it's his cutting and his drives to the rim, which also adds such an element to the whirring, whirling and movement offense and everything. If he can't finish at the rim when he's cutting like that, it takes away a lot from their offense. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, the three-point stroke looks a lot better. Um, but you just need the you need the all around the all-around game. Um I think it'll come back though. I trust in Clay. It's been tough because we gave away so many games early and it was a little ostentatious at first. I think he's going to continue to get into game shape and be ready to go. But it's been a couple tough games, especially when him at the very end of the fourth quarter in Utah and he just loses his guy for the three at the end of the game. That's like, that has nothing to do with athleticism. That's like, you got to have that mental awareness and you're the veteran on the floor right there, Clay. Right. Like what's happening? Yeah, no, no excuses there either. And then you also had the play before that where um, it was a two possession game, and you give the ball to Clay at the top of the key, and he just gets stripped. Mm-hmm. It's um, tough, you know. I, there's just three I there's... three mistakes there. Um, that is just yeah. <laughs> it's just like a perfect storm. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter make make some kind of comment like the Warriors masterclass for tanking teams like <laughs> here's how you here's how you give away a game when you're trying to tank and you have the you know a two possession lead with like three seconds left in the game it's just like exactly get the play-by-play by utah seriously houston and san antonio all these teams taking notes on taking the notes. Like oh my gosh this is how you throw a game okay cool <laughs> noted i think you're really on to something sam with this championship hangover and the intensity that you have to bring every single night i'm thinking when they won in 2015 they came back with such a vengeance because they wanted to prove it wasn't a fluke so they didn't have the normal hangover so that's why after they won their first title they still had something to prove steve kerr was gone you know for health reasons so luke walton was on the bench everyone was saying it was because cleveland was hurt but now they're like set they're feeling good they're much older and the new players don't have that urgency and they haven't been playing with that vivaciousness so it is interesting. I hadn't thought about that with the ticky-tack fouling and not being able to kind of adapt to the thoughtfulness and intensity of regular season basketball, but also being prepared for every single team to really go at your neck. And and last year, they also had a hunger to come out and prove since they, you know, they lost yeah. the plan. So they come back Definitely. and they're like, we're going to get Clay back. Everybody's written us off. We got this incredible deep team. You've got all these different pieces. And you just get off the, to this incredible 18 and two start. And then, you know, I think that even even last year, the Warriors had 
an atrocious an atrocious stretch of ball that I keep kind of coming back to for comparison for this season. Um, where Definitely. they were just losing games left and right and just looked god awful even after they had come out to that stop to that hot start. And a lot of that is Wiggins kind of losing some aggression offensively, mm-hmm. um, a lack of defensive uh, intensity and identity. Um, so, you know, I for me, it's all silver lining. I think from the Warriors, you know, from a fan perspective, it's incredibly disappointing to see them lose to Indiana and Utah. It would be would have been really nice for the Warriors to be sitting at, you know, um, 15 and, and 11 instead of 13 mm-hmm. and 13. But when you they look at the grand the scheme teams. of things, yeah, they'd be, you know, they'd be much higher in the West, especially when you look at like Clippers, Portland, the teams around them are dropping games left and right. You you win two or three games in a row, you move up three or four spots in the West. I think for the Warriors front office coaching staff, though, you want to continue to grow and develop and get guys ready for the big moment in the playoffs. I think the mm-hmm. caveat to that is you need to have a good enough record to not be in the play-in game and and hopefully good enough seeding that you're not facing like the Phoenix Suns in the first or second round. Yeah, um, seriously. But I think the points of emphasis for me is the growth and development of Kaminga, Poole, and Moody. Um, yeah. And I think we're really seeing that in the last few games, which which is the silver lining for me, even in this in this loss to, to Utah and, and to the Pacers. Totally. I mean, look, Utah's kind of come back to earth a little bit from their scorching hot start, but they're still like a quality team with good basketball players on it. And the Warriors went out there with all of their young guys and they competed, which is such a far cry from those New Orleans games where they were just getting the crap kicked out of them. Like they couldn't even feel the competitive basketball team. So the growth is really remarkable. You can really look at this Utah game. And even though they kind of choked it away at the end in the Weminyama sweepstakes, that they still, you can still be like, wow, okay, this team, even without Steph and Draymond, they can, these players can compete and they can hold their own. And I have been blown away by Kaminga. Something has clicked in his head about here's how I can play with force. Here's how I can make an impact. He's more decisive and defensively, man. That might be the game changer in terms of how we can get our defense back up to speed because. He is a monster out there. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before Kaminga leapfrogs Jermichael Green as far as being kind of like the backup big um, first guy off the bench if um, Jordan Poole's starting or second guy off the bench if, if Jordan Poole's coming off the bench. So Totally. I think you hit I the mean, nail on the head. I think he's kind of the X factor for the Warriors to bring that energy and intensity. Um, there is, going back to the game against Minnesota, he had like an incredible box out against Rudy Gobert. You just see him understanding Mm -hmm. he needs to just do the little things and forget about scoring. And then the scoring just ends up coming so easily because him doing the little things gets us stops, gets us defensive rebounds, allows us to get into transition. And then he just runs the floor and gets rewarded. Yeah. And then getting the stops and then like the three start falling when you get that rhythm and you're actually getting stops on the other end, it just, everything plays into each other. Now it's great to see. And it's amazing there, seemed, there was a minute there at the beginning of the season where it was like, oh my God, none of these young guys can play. Right. So glad that Kerr's figuring it out. I kind of wish he would give a little bit more rope to some of these young guys so they could get the minutes and get the confidence. But who am I to disagree with the championship coach? Yeah, he's got, he's got his method to the madness and we kind of just got to respect the process and be patient. Um, totally. One thing that say, just... Sam, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just bef- before we leave the Kaminga part, that game against Dallas was so mind-blowing where he was the only guy who could stay in front of Luca, And it was got to the point in the fourth quarter when Kirk took him out, I was like, you can't do that. He's the only <laughs> guy who can actually give him a hard time. And this is, he's sharing the floor with Andrew Wiggins, who yeah. completely didn't like wipe out Luca. No one can wipe out Luca, but you know, <laughs> played incredible defense in the conference finals last year. But Kaminga's big and he's, He's not going to get bullied by these guys. It was really remarkable. Yeah, and I think that's where he can make the biggest impact for this Warriors team when we're talking about a lack of defensive identity. If he can come in and slot into that small lineup, whether he's playing at the four or the five, and just really cause a lot of havoc. I mean, he's guarding one through five, right? There were times where they put him on Clarkson, who was basically playing point guard more or less. 
um, mm-hmm. when Colin, Colin Sexton didn't return to the game. I thought that was a really big moment of growth where he um, he gets the block on Clarkson and plays through the contact and, and the flagrant two foul and and it's kind of laughing at Clarkson who squares up on him to like, yeah. <laughs> like, let's go for a fight. Like I just wrapped you up and wrapped up your neck, but let's fight. And he just is kind of laughing it off. Very veteran move though, by DiVincenzo to immediately grab Kaminga and kind of pull him away. Cause otherwise I think yeah. Kaminga might have met him and they totally, you know, he might've been like a, a both been tossed out of that game. So you know, nice to see him just kind of laugh it off, but also like his teammates have his back to make sure he didn't do something stupid there. Totally. Dante knows what he's doing out there. He sometimes, he shoots a little outrageously sometimes, but I love his veteran savvy. Although he's still a pretty young player in the scheme of things, but compared to all the other like Warriors babies there, he's almost like a veteran in terms of the new guys they're bringing in. Yeah, no, Kaminga, the way he can guard up and down the roster. And one of the things that this team misses so much, Sam, is with Gary Payton gone, they're missing the person who can come off the bench and defensively make an impact to change the other team's flow, to just be like, oh, there's someone who's hot, go stop that guy. And if Kaminga can become that, to be like this guy off the bench who's like, oh, they're big wing who's like going on a run, like go body him up, go get your six fouls, like make it tough for them. That would really change a lot, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of folks, myself included, kind of thought that Moody was going to be that guy. But I think mm-hmm. the challenge, the, from my understanding, the gripe that Kerr's had with Moody is Moody dribbles too much and gets himself stuck and then throws the ball away. And Kerr's just like, no, 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 can't can't be having any of that anymore. And so really until Moody gets past that, his minutes are going to be really limited, even though when he comes in now, he's more just like a spot-up three-shooter. Um, you mm-hmm. don't really see him try to attack as much, which is great, right? He's he's knocked down some very big threes in the last few games in limited minutes. Um, whereas yeah. I think Kaminga, with his like with his um, increased size and vision, you see him doing a lot of playmaking too, where he'll where he'll drive into the paint and draw the defense and then kick it out. Um, and so I think yeah. that they like his fast split second decision making and ability to create looks for others, and then the rebounding and defense as well. Definitely. No, he, I feel like he really earned Steve Kerr's respect or his trust when he went on a few games where he like didn't take a single shot. And I'm like looking at the TV. I'm like, can you go dunk the basketball, please? You're a gigantic (laughs) human being who can get to the line, but he was being so dedicated. Like I'm playing warriors basketball. I'm moving it around. I'm making the smart play. I'm not going to gum it up. And I think that's given her the trust to play him even more. And then you get to play more. Then you get to find those moments where you can actually like post up when you can really take it to the rim. So I hope Moody play Moody's coming off the bench a little bit more. You're right. He's made some big threes and he played pretty well against Utah too. So hoping he can start sniffing some more rotation minutes. Yeah, I think he will by the end of the season. I think, I think that's at least the direction and goal or the hope for these guys. Um, And one more point on, on Kaminga real quick. I thought, it was really it, it really demonstrated his growth in the game against Utah when he realizes when uh Kessler when uh, Kessler Walker was off the floor that there was no rim protection and he had that nice third quarter where he scored um I don't know what it was, it seemed like ten or fifteen points. Yeah. Because there's just nobody to stop him at the rim. And he was like, Great, I'm just gonna attack the rim every single time. And if nobody can stop me, I'm just gonna continue to efficiently score. Um, totally. And then you saw the when they cor- put when they brought Kessler back in into the fourth, he that that um, had kind of sh- they kind of shored that up. But still, that's what he's going to have to do find the find the points in time through the flow of the game when everything opens up and take advantage of it. But then also recognize when it's not there and you continue to just play through the offense. Totally, that court awareness to know when is the moment to cut. When can I take my shot? When do we need to look for more inside baskets versus outside baskets? That's only going to come with more time. And the fact that he's already getting there, he's a much better. I mean, we talked about this way back in the day when he was first drafted. Like he's a much better passer than he was pegged out of when he was coming out of the G League on the G League Ignite. So it's really cool to see him grow. Yeah, they had they had the ball in his hands a lot in summer league. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Jordan Poole, also in talking about his, his growth and development through uh, 
the last 13 games versus the thir the first 13. So I had some numbers that I wanted to throw out here and we can talk about it Ooh. in a little bit more detail. So Jordan Let's Poole's go. first 13 games, uh, 15.6 points on 33% on threes, 41% from the field, 82% from the line, 28 minutes, uh, net total plus minus of minus 97. Ouch. Um, the oh, last no. 13 games, 19.8 points, 33% from three, 45 and a half percent from the field, 87% from the line, plus 48 um, net plus minus. And the minutes are the same, basically the same 28 minutes in the first 13, 27 minutes in the last 13 per game. So um, obviously scoring's up, threes are the same, slightly more efficient from the field, slightly more efficient from the line, but just his impact when he's on the floor, basically... A, ch a change of 150 points <laughs> through 13 yeah. games, which is pretty significant. It's like, you know, 10, 10 and change points per game, net positive um, difference. So totally. No, it's been good to see what one of the most frustrating things about this season, about their terrible start to the season was Jordan Poole just vanishing into his role as the sixth man. And this is a guy that we had chosen and that the team had tapped to be like, you are part of the core team. You're like the sixth starter and you should go win sixth man of the year. They lose so much when he's not being aggressive, when he's not making his shots, when he's turning it over. Kind of like how he turned it over in Utah. That might not have been like entirely his fault, but it was really tough when he's offensively quiet because he's not good enough defensively to make up for it. So you just have this like absent player and – it was really hurting him. So it's nice to see him starting to find his rhythm, starting to find his wiggle a little bit. And what I want to see, Sam, is I want to see even more drives to the hoop. He's been getting so three happy, and his shot has not been the same as it was last year. I'm sure it'll come with more time, but he needs to figure out he's so fast. And that's what the Warriors are missing right now. I mean, we're talking about, like, clay-ups and everything. We're missing a better presence at the rim and getting to the line and getting to the, getting to the basket. If he could use his speed and do a little bit more, and he's starting to really figure it out and not get called for a travel or a carry every time, this team's going to be really dangerous. Yeah, those um, discontinued dribbles, there's like a stretch of, felt like almost 10 games, maybe it was just like five or six, where he was picking up at least two or three discontinued dribbles or travel calls per game, just trying to do too much, get too fancy. But one thing that has stood out to me is the first the first half, the first 13 games of the season, it felt like, oh man, you know, Poole needs to play next to Curry or Thompson. So there's more floor spacing. Like how can we expect him to be this dynamic scorer coming off the bench when he's playing next to this terrible, atrocious second unit? Um, defenses are scheming against, you know, they're, you know, they've got him at the top of the, of their scheme charts. So they're, you know, they know his moves and his counter moves and they're, you know, a step ahead of him. He's really made the adjustments and played through that and found ways to be effective. Cause here we have the game against Utah where there is no Steph Curry. There is no Andrew Wiggins. There is no Draymond green. And he goes off for 36 points, um, 36 points yeah. and eight assists. So he does a little bit of both. So it felt like in the beginning of the season, he was like either, I don't, I can't score at all. And I'm just going to facilitate and get like eight assists, but only attempt like four shots or the flip side, I'm going to take 15 shots and only hit two or three of them. Cause they're all these force contested tough looks. And now mm -hmm. um, it seems like he's really kind of, you know, taking the balance and, and finding ways to contribute um, and be in that dynamic score, but also get his teammates involved. And that's, you know, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, whether Curry's on the floor or not. Um, and that's really shown a lot of growth and development from my perspective in, in his ability to make adjustments to how opposing teams are defending him. Definitely. I mean, the guy's still so young, right? He's still so young. He's still on his rookie contract. He's being thrust into a much bigger role with different responsibilities. It was, it's been nice to see him succeed in contexts other than I'm the starting shooting guard with the starters of the Warriors, like it was on that 18-2 and two run last season. 
Right. Because before it was like, oh, his only good games are the ones where Clay's sitting on the back to backs and Jordan Poole's coming back in. I'm like, yes, you can play well next to Stefan Draymond. How can we get you effective in your role? And he's starting to figure it out. And I have been so impressed with, I mean, you could write a whole book on like whatever's happening with Draymond and Jordan Poole. And now they're like on the bench units together and like the facilitators, like basketball is so crazy, man. <laughs> but it is cool to see them really figure out that identity and having more of a defensive presence when you're with pool and also another outlet and someone to make decisions and be the Draymond traffic cop. So pool doesn't have to just have to be on ball all the time, but he can be off ball and running around and doing his little stuff impersonations. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I think a thought just came to me that I missed earlier when we were talking about kind of the second unit struggles and, and woes and missing GP two and having that energy lockdown defender off the bench. Um, I think also Otto Porter Jr. just really underrated and being able to make tough baskets at very important times. And we've been missing. Oh, yeah. And I hope that DiVincenzo can kind of step into that role. And he's started to a little bit, obviously still trying to acclimate with the team and the role and and get up to, you know, 100 percent from his injury, um, not just from this season, but the one that derailed him last season and the year before. and this isn't a point to say, man, we should have kept GP2 and Otto Porter Jr. because Gary Payton II still has yet to play a game this season for the Portland yeah. Blazers. And Otto Porter Jr. has been in and out of the lineup himself. Um, I don't think he's even played 10 games yet. So in an alternate reality, if we had kept both of those guys, we could very well be worse off than we are now because Gary Payton w- wouldn't have even played a game. And I don't know how yeah, effective Otto Porter would have been. So... It's tough to just say, look at Lakeup or Myers and say, you guys did this, you got cheap. It's like, it's not all, you can't just make these assumptions that, you know, you keep, you know, that things would be the same had you kept these guys. But certainly there, we can at least point to part of the reason they were so successful last season is you had these guys playing these roles that were so good at it just from the start. Um, And I think that was very fortunate. Um, there were a lot of factors that all had to kind of culminate into that incredible 18 and two start um, that I don't know if mm-hmm. we could replicate in a vacuum if we had the same personnel again, just because of how the universe works in, <laughs> in the NBA and injuries and health and, and all that stuff. Totally. And look, like GP2 and Otto Porter, they were like starting and closing games in the NBA finals. Like those were really quality players that they picked up on bargain prices it makes sense that they couldn't keep them with dante and jmg jamichael green they just haven't been as good as those guys we don't have that point of attack defender and we also don't have auto porters like rebounding and toughness and also like passing and smarts i think dante's gonna get there i really like the energy that he brings whenever he comes on and i feel like one of the things that turned around from that really tough road trip to start the season was dante came back and added a little bit more measure into that unit he can still be a bit out of control but when you play like with force i think kerr and the team really respect that diving for the balls being really scrappy even if he's taking maybe a pretty deep three from time and time but jamichael green i've been I'm waiting for him to kind of figure it out. And it looked like he had a couple of games where he did, where he was like getting, you know, a lot of dunks, playing with toughness, but he has not been the same as some of the other bigs the Warriors need. Yeah. Yeah. I have no silver lining for, for JMG. Unfortunately, (laughs) I try and find a way to, to, to look at it and be like, well, he can offer this or he can offer that. I mean, you know, he, he is an aggressive offensive rebounder. And I think I'll just leave it at that. He doesn't have the hands. He's not knocking down threes. He commits too many fouls defensively. He's not an anchor of the second unit. Um, You know, I think the game against Utah, he he came out aggressive and had a couple nice looks under the rim. But even then it was Mm -hmm. like fumbling passes or he missed, he, he missed the first look and had to get the, get the put back. Um, And I don't, it's not like I think that there's alternative veteran minimum, guys floating around out there that could just seamlessly come in and replace him. But that's where I think eventually I'd like to see Kaminga take more of those minutes that he has. Cause I think that just Kaminga can bring so much more. 
than what Jamaica Definitely. has. And I think the coaching staff would like to do that too. They just need to continue to see the, the improvement from Kaminga to award him with those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, the last two games should settle it, right? Like Kaminga's a much more reliable big. He's more offensively impactful and he's a better defender. And he's been getting better at rebounding. So I'd love to see Kaminga get those minutes and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like when they signed Jamichael Green, it seemed like a perfect fit. Like he's a smart guy. Jokic loved playing with him, meaning that he gets to like he knows how to play with a good passer and how to run around. But different playing with Steph than with Jokic, even though they're both you know marvelous MVP level players. We need bigs to be able to facilitate and to pass and to be like play the smart knuckle down things, and he hasn't quite done that yet. Or just he hit an open to... three reliably. I think in the, in the <laughs> preseason, he was like knocking down three or four open threes per game. And it was like, oh man, awesome. This guy can rebound and hit an open three. Cool. Sign me up. And it's like, that has not carried yeah. over to the regular season in the slightest. It's like wide open it corner, Jermichael Green, way off. And he only like... attempts like one or two. So it's not like he puts up four and he's going like one, you know, one for four, two for four. You know, it goes like 0 for 1, 0 for 2, yeah. 1 for 3. And like, they just... are, yeah, and Sam, they're wide open. <laughs> I mean, they are so right. wide open, which means that he's not doing anything for their spacing. He's not creating any driving lanes or cutting lanes. Right. And he's just getting like those one a game. And it, he winds up so slowly. I'm like, what's happening here? Right. <laughs> you know, Otto Porter started, started off really hot. And then he went like a spell where he couldn't make any threes. And then he like started making them again. So. You know, these things come in waves and Kerr is really good at like finding the right moments for the guys. And I think he's still figuring out those moments, but I would love to see the young guys get more run, especially when they're, the veterans aren't as good anyways. It'd be one thing if we're winning with Jamichael Green and then the young guys aren't getting any developments, but he's been part of the losing too. Right. Yep. hundred percent. Um Sam, to round out the youngins and also the bigs, what did you think about James Wiseman coming back? And what do you think, is there a future on this team for him at all? Especially as we're talking about how JMG's kind of losing maybe that backup center spot. Yeah, I thought that James Wiseman coming back was more just to make sure we had enough healthy bodies to round out the rotation. I wasn't surprised that he played limited minutes against Utah. Um, he got... A spell in the first half I think he got about six minutes and then and double check here I don't think he played in the second half mm-hmm. um yeah Wiseman played five minutes in the first half one of two from the field uh one of two from the line he had two rebounds and three points so um he had like a nice post up where we fed him under the hoop and he dunked the ball but I don't think he's ready. You know, I think he he still needs a lot of time in Santa Cruz. And I think that's the plan. It just kind of seemed like no Draymond, no Wiggins. We need Wiseman. Like, call him up just in case. But Kaminga played so well. And you've still got Looney. Um, I think I, I don't even think Wiseman's ready to take some of Jermichael Green's minutes. Because I think you're not going to play Wiseman more than like five to eight minutes a game. And at that point... I don't think it's enough repetition. I don't think it's enough game time for him to miss out on more opportunities to play in Santa Cruz. So I think offensively, I see a more confident version of James Wiseman, the the kind that we saw in the first few games of the season before he started to really struggle because he's so, he's so young, he gets in mm-hmm. his head. And so when he starts to make mistakes defensively and lose his confidence, then everything just falls apart. But when he comes in confident, he can score – you know, he, he's a big presence inside. Um, he's got some nice finishes at the rim. Um, but defensively, he still has a, a long ways to go. And same with rebounding. And, and yeah. just the intelligence required to be an NBA center. And I think especially in the Warriors system, he's, you know, I, I even question if he'll even have a role this season at all or even the postseason. Um, and I think that remains to be seen. I, I think he needs another solid two, three, four months in Santa Cruz playing 25 plus minutes, being able to play through mistakes. And who knows at that point, right? I mean, Jordan Poole came back a completely different player, Um, but obviously different situations, different ages, but 
Uh, I don't think Wiseman has a place in the rotation at this time, short of that type of situation where a bunch of guys are out and he's there as a backup big, but he's still going to be used in a very limited fashion. Yeah, absolutely. I think I kind of like this role for him in terms of like beyond the G League. And then when we have guys miss time, which is going to happen much more going forward because they are an old team, we're already starting to see it come up here and have like some backup minutes, get a taste of the NBA, be like, oh, okay, that was good. Or, oh, I need to work on that. Go back to the G League. What's been nice for me to see is that he actually has made improvements in the G League. And for a minute, it was like when he was getting bombed in the G League by guys who can't even, you know, make the NBA. It was like, uh uh-oh, is this like even more of a bust than we had thought previously? But, you know, it is just reps. He's getting better. He's getting a little smarter defensively. And you know what I've been thinking about a lot? You know Killian Hayes on the Detroit Pistons? Yeah. He was like the lottery pick that they chose in the same draft as James Wiseman. And he's looked terrible his whole, like, his whole career. And just this last week, he started streaming together some really good games. And it's like, oh my gosh, these guys are so young. They are so young. Who knows when they can kind of put it all together? So I haven't sold all my Wiseman stock yet. I don't think he's going to have any meaningful impact on this team. So then the financial things become even more important than like whether he actually will be good or not. But I hope that he actually does figure it out at some point and becomes an NBA player. So how do you feel about like the thought process of, well, what are we doing with this number two pick? We should trade him and get some some assets to improve the roster as is. Oh, that's that's the question, right? I think, you know, my instinct is to hold off a little bit. Because I want to see if this team can figure out what it's going through before making that kind of trade. And they've got time. I think if they're still, you know, if they're still 500, like at the all-star break, then yeah, they've got to make a move because you can't waste this season. But they've already shown, like what we were talking about, they've figured out a little bit of things. These two last games, rough, rough losses, which is going to hurt now that we're going to go on this big road trip and play all these good teams. But if they can figure it out, that would be pretty cool to be able to bring in these younger guys with a little bit more experience next season. And I'm also not sure who we could get, although I got very excited when I saw Steve Kerr and Alex Caruso talking. So if you got the right player, you could convince me. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jakob Pertl, right? Like coming uh, Wiseman in a future first or Wiseman in Kaminga for Pertl. But Pirtle's on an expiring deal. Um, and I think you just muck with the with the foundational core of the team. So you're gonna have Pirtle, Draymond, and Looney, like three non-shooting bigs. How does that work? And how does this make this team better? Um yeah, where the definitely. improvements need to be made, arguably in the second unit. So what you're gonna trade a number two pick for some like end of the bench rotation players that are going to play 15 to 20 minutes a game. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I think, sure. You can say you've got, they wasted the number two pick or what are they doing? And it's like, okay, but also like how often do dynasty teams do contending teams end up with the number two pick, right? They took this guy that was going to be a project and he hasn't panned out yet, but, that doesn't mean that you just have to trade them for anything you can possibly get. Um, but I do agree with you. And Bob Myers did um, make similar comments on an interview um, with the athletic earlier this season saying that, you know, we're only 10 games in when there's the three and seven start, but you know, we'll see 40 games in if we're still not feeling like where we want to be on our path to contention for sure, we're open to making moves. And I, I'm kind of with you along that mindset, right? Approaching the all-star break, yeah. you're still sitting at 500 ball, 10th in the West, basically where we're at now. You're kind of scratching your head like, maybe this isn't going to work out. But all it takes is a five-game win streak and you go from 10th to 5th, um, which is a true. completely different place to be. They're still in the hunt right now, which is why the Warriors get to be like, oh, we don't have to be so urgent. But the only thing about that with everything so close, yeah, if they go on a five-game win streak, they're in it. They're like back up to the top. But if another team goes on a five-game win streak, we're going to start seeing some real separation. Yeah, And I think 
this road trip, I mean, they're playing Boston tomorrow with no Wiggins and Boston is looking like they're going super Saiyan every night. I don't even know how they're doing it. So <laughs> that's going to be a really intense game. And then they're going on a really tough road trip. I think we're going to learn a lot about this team. And if they come back from that road trip, like four games under 500, because they went one and six on this trip, they're like, Steph is going to be like, we need to get some guys like this. Yeah. Stand. So after, after Saturday's game against the Celtics, you've got at Milwaukee, at Indiana, at Philadelphia, at Toronto, at New York, at Nets. Um, maybe you could There's- say the Pacers and the Knicks are winnable games. Um, and then also keeping in mind that the uh, Bucks and Pacers game is a back-to-back, so Clay Thompson's going to miss one of those games. Mm-hmm. And the New York the New York match against the Knicks and the Nets are also back-to-backs. Two of those games, you can already know that Clay Thompson's going to miss two games. And then who knows, you know, depending on how Curry's ankles healed up, how Wiggins' abductor strain is doing, you know, Draymond's issues or ailments. They're, you know, the, they're not going to risk the health of the starters to squeeze out some extra wins. They want everyone to be healthy. Um, totally. I said it's opportunity for the young guys, which we've already talked about how they, they desperately need the reps. Yeah. And that's why giving away those games at the beginning of the season, giving away these last two games, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's going to come back to bite them because you're right. Like last year, they went on a bad spell, right? They were, there was times towards the end of last season where like, is this team going to be a first round out? They look like right. they lost all their <laughs> mojo. But the 18-2 and two start gives them wiggle the cushion, room to right. rest up to figure it out. Now, right. like, Steph's been playing heavy minutes to get to 500, and that's right. not sustainable. And we're going to start seeing Wiggins, who was, like, indestructible last season, already missing games. We're going to start seeing some more of that. So we're, we're going to learn a lot. It's You're right. I think maybe two games that are, like, you could schedule as a win in this road trip. And even then, like, Indiana just beat us at home without their guys. Right, right. So it's going to be tough. Even Toronto, which is, like, kind of, you know, hanging right around 502, they are, like, long and athletic and ferocious. And that's, like, a clear weakness for this Warrior team right now. Yeah, and I think that's where it kind of goes back when we're talking about potential trades for Wiseman. Like, the issues that we're talking about here, like, executing in the fourth quarter, would having Jakob Pertl have changed any of that? Probably not. Like, would he even be on the floor in crunch time? I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So when when for me and in, in thinking through, like, trading Wiseman or not, I just feel like you have your core six. These are the guys totally. that need to play better, right? It, it's internal development, improvement, continuity, and chemistry that's going to make a difference. Sure, you bring a guy off the bench who can be a microwave scorer or make an impact defensively or bring a spark. It certainly helps you win more games, um, but if these guys aren't part of closing lineups and we're talking about right now, the issue, the Warriors have dropped, I don't know, four or five games where they're in it till the end, you know, crunch, uh, close, uh, crunch time game where it's within five points within five minutes. Are those guys going to be on the floor? If not, I don't know if it really makes sense. And then if, I don't know if that really makes a difference, um, to move the needle or not to, to blow it up. So, um, cause I think you would kind of be doing that to a sense if you're moving Wiseman potentially plus another player like Looney or Kaminga or a future pick to get another big um, or get some other rotational player I don't know I think there's a lot more implications and it's a lot more complicated than just like Myers needs to to go sign somebody um, and and figure out the second unit I think we need to give these guys a chance and you you know I think this is gonna like you just said this is gonna be a coming to age moment for this team that we're going to see over this tough stretch on the road. Where do they end up? How many games are they able to squeak by? You know, Warriors last season had some um, unexpected victories when guys were out, you know, wouldn't Mm -hmm. surprise me as disappointing as we've been playing. It also wouldn't surprise me (laughs) if like we came out gangbusters against Boston and just totally blitzed them in a game that I think we're more up for than we have been for other games uh, so far this regular season. Totally. And you know what, before the Wiggins news, I was like, we're going to beat Boston. Like that is such a classic Warriors game. Like we're going to remind everybody and show them that we're the champs. 
without Wiggins, goodness gracious, I, I do not know how we're going to get any stops on that team. But, you know, it would be really good to see as they're playing Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia, like true championship contenders. Philadelphia a little bit more iffy, but could be, right? Like we're going to see what these Warriors are made of and also what the starters are made of. Because I, I think you're right, man. They, You could have made that argument more when the bench was so terrible. Right. But the bench isn't as terrible anymore. Right. Like they're figure they're shoring it up a little bit. And you could argue that they're playing too many minutes to make this sustainable. And that's why you go need another guy is because you need to start saving the minutes of the vets. But they're not winning these games yet. And until you can show that you can actually win these games, I don't know what getting another guy is gonna do. Yeah, if if Clay Thompson is gonna leave a three point shooter open at the end of the game when the game plan is to not leave a three point shooter open. We're just not going to win a lot of games. Just you're not going to win game. You're not going to win these games when every team totally. is so hungry to play you and playing so hard. You have to execute. You just have to. And there's no excuse for yeah. a player of Clay Thompson's caliber. Um, Look, Steph and Draymond. <clears throat> Steph and Draymond have been the only truly consistent guys on this team. We're bringing it like every single night. Wiggins, I would say you could argue is the second best player on the team, but defensively we were talking about he's fallen off or isn't with the same ferocity that he had last season. Looney, who I freaking love, he's not the same defender. You know, he's also kind of getting stuck a bit. And Clay and Poole have been so inconsistent. They haven't found any rhythm. Every time they go on a couple of games, there's another one that comes back. The six guys have to be better because now – Dante's playing better. Kaminga's playing better. They're figuring out more of their rotation. So let's see. Let's see him make some magic. Yeah, even Curry wasn't even even Curry wasn't perfect, right? You had the the fiasco in in Dallas where Curry had the layup to mm-hmm. tie the game, and he opts to take the three um, after he, already you know, losing the Charlotte game too for the exact right. same thing, going for the hero shot. Like yep. you've got to value these wins. Yep. Sorry, your question was about uh, Boston. Yeah, man. What do you think? Saturday night, first ABC primetime Saturday night of the season. Yeah, I think, you know, Boston's been by far the juggernaut of the NBA, without a doubt. So just going off of the standard NBA answer, I think Boston's favorite to win, especially without Wiggins. But I don't think you can ever count the Warriors out of a game, regardless of who's playing or not, just because it's their DNA to be Mm -hmm. this enigma of endless potential, but also at the same time (laughs) self-sabotage themselves and throw away a two-possession game with with three seconds to go. So Poole could go off for 50 career high. Kaminga could go career high, could do crazy things defensively against Tatum. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, a, a resurfacing of a Kavon Looney dominance that we saw mm-hmm. um, in in the playoffs and against in the finals against the Celtics. Looney's just been quietly solid doing his thing, but would love to see kind of like a double digit rebounding, just very imposing of his will um, type game. Um, another guy that we haven't really talked about at all on the show today is Anthony Lamb, um, mm. who has some interesting developments um kind of off the court stuff but before we talk about that we get your take for the uh for the celtics prediction yeah man i think you can't count the warriors out it reminds me last season the game where i was like oh this team can win the championship was christmas day against phoenix who is the other number one team in the league and the Warriors were out without like Wiggins and Poole for COVID. And it was Steph, Draymond, and just some guys. And they beat Phoenix at Phoenix. And I was like, oh, we don't even need to like really try the rest of the season. It's just about staying in shape because this team has it. If they could come out with a similar thing, no Wiggins, but still put up a fight against Boston, that would be magical. Why not? Let's say, let's say they win. I'm down. Do you think Kaminga's going to start, or do you think they're going to go Steph Poole and Clay in the starting lineup? Oof. I think if they, I think if they really wanted to play the matchup, they'd probably start Kaminga. Man, I don't know. I don't know because you've got. I you've can't got imagine they've got Draymond and Looney, 
right? Mm-hmm. That are going to be the starting front court. So I don't think you, I don't think you slot in Kaminga, <laughs> Clay. They've had no problem having Clay guard bigger forwards. I think it's actually better for Clay Thompson. Um, yeah. So I mean, there were times in the Utah game where Clay was matched up with uh, Kelly Olynyk and actually was doing an admirable job. So no, I think it'll be Steph, Steph, Clay, Pool. Draymond and Looney to start and you you still bring Kaminga off the bench um because you want Draymond Green to anchor the second unit so you give Kaminga that second half of the first quarter um yeah. to work with definitely you know Clay with all of his defensive woes this season like everyone points to in the finals last year this guy was locking up Jalen Brown yeah like he was playing good defense by the end of that series so maybe these champs can find some spark with like finals level intensity coming back into the uh, regular season. Yep. You know that clay has it in him. He's one of the most fierce competitors in the NBA. Um, Anthony lamb, I guess is another name who could, who could potentially be in the starting lineup or also play a big role. The three point shooting has been down for him as of late, but he's shooting like 40% from three on the season. Mm -hmm. Um, It's crazy that this guy on a two way, is like our eighth or ninth guy in the rotation. <laughs> Honestly. When you've got like Wiseman, Ryan Rawlings, Patrick Baldwin, you've got all these like rotation players who are not NBA ready. And then you've got this this guy um, on a two-way deal that's like Steve Kerr's kind of go-to guy off the bench. Um, yeah, Kerr likes his glue guys. Kerr likes his glue guys. And you know, I really like having these G-leaguers and these two-way players pushing the young players these young lottery picks for minutes it's like this is what you have to do you need to rebound you need to pass you need to play within the system and you need to play hard and that's how you're going to get on the floor it's nice to have that Juan Toscano Anderson like player to model that behavior yep 100 percent um so what were your thoughts on this uh Warriors signed Anthony Lamb at the start of the season there's a story that surfaced um that Lamb's name had been in this lawsuit filed by a former UMV, UVM athlete who says that the school mishandled some rape allegations that involved Lamb. Um, at mm-hmm. the time that Lamb was signed, Myers commented that basically, you know, they took the lead of the NBA. The NBA didn't find any tangible evidence linking these accu- accusations to Lamb, and the Warriors basically would take the NBA's lead. The NBA says he's it's okay. Like they're gonna they're gonna you know basically take the same line of thinking. Um, really tough and sensitive subject, obviously with a sexual assault. Uh, but now that you know yeah. this is a civil case, it's not um, it's not a criminal case. But still, you know, you basically it's like his word against her word. Lamb came out um, and had a statement recently responding to this, saying quote, the allegations made against me in 2019 that have recently resurfaced are patently false. I have always been fully cooperative regarding the alleged incident and have welcomed any investigation into the matter. And this is per CJ Holmes of the San Francisco Chronicle. Look, man, it's really tough. It makes sense that the Warriors are going to follow the NBA's lead. But I got to say, when it comes like any professional sports organization, they don't do a good job on this stuff. You know, they're not really taking the side of, you know, they're always taking the side of the player in the situation because it makes sense for them. The, like, I saw that, like, deposition and some of the writing that came across. It was really sickening stuff. And I hope the Warriors like to pride themselves on being progressive, on being thoughtful about caring for their community. I hope they don't just rush it under, throw it under the rug, is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, the Warriors have always prided themselves on like getting these high character guys. So it was head scratching for many folks when the Warriors signed Lamb to the two way um, in the off season with this case kind of still kind of hanging and lingering. Um, and it's really tough because there is no tangible evidence, but at the same time you have somebody coming out who's saying he was involved. And so it's hard to be yeah. dismissive of, of that stuff. And and I think, you know, in today's day and age, you know, the, the progressiveness of society and, and 
athletes and those kind of in the spotlight are kind of given a little bit of a pass, like the whole innocent until proven guilty maybe goes a little bit too far. But at the same time, you know, I think the safest thing the Warriors could do would be to drop him, right? I mean, he's on a two-way. It's mm-hmm. not guaranteed, right? But there's more implications there for a guy who we just said is like eighth in the rotation. And yeah. I think it's the easy answer for the Warriors to say, well, the NBA didn't find any tangible evidence. But then the criticisms that I've seen of that line of thinking is, well, did the NBA do any investigation of their own or did they just do did they just go off of what the university did because the whole problem is that um, the whole issue in this recent civil lawsuit is that um, they're saying the university mishandled the situation from the start. Mm -hmm. So if the NBA is going off of an investigation that wasn't completed thoroughly, then that whole line of thinking um, kind of collapses and um, everyone gets caught looking pretty bad supporting basically reinforcing and supporting this type of behavior for athletes where it's like if you don't get caught it's okay um yeah but it's tough definitely it's really hard i I don't think there's the right answer yeah i think the warriors are happy that they haven't upgraded him into a full roster spot so they've got some time to drop him they're gonna do that anyways i think we could say like let's have Kaminga take those minutes <laughs> or let's have Moody take those minutes. Let's make it not as much right. of a roster problem if the Warriors do need to do it. But look, I think it's also, this is bigger than the Warriors too. You know, the NBA has had a decent amount of issues with this and Adam Silver and the league, as much as they like to promote this type of image, when it comes to these like very difficult subjects, they actually kind of weasel their way out of it a lot and don't come down with any definitive answers. And I think they've got to figure out how they're going to handle these things moving forward too. And it'd be nice if the Warriors, if the Warriors were like a part of that process on the NBA being like a little bit more responsible and having consequences for these things and having it not just be about, you know, the money and the bottom line. Yeah, I totally agree. They definitely um, play both sides of that where they promote this very progressive attitude on the front, but then, when push comes to shove in these tough decisions and and situations, they don't necessarily follow through with their actions. Um, I mean, the Kyrie situation was definitely very perplexing um, to say the least. And then just kind of how all of that unfolded and played out. Um, We don't need to get into a big thing about that. Um, (laughs) That's a different podcast. Yeah. Different, different podcast, different different topic. Um, Last thing, other other extraneous news that I just wanted to call out. We got Brittany Griner back from Russia, thankfully with a little prison swap trade of some Russian arms (laughs) dealer. (laughs) Give us back our WNBA star and we'll give you an arms dealer in in return. Um, I saw on Sam, I saw on Twitter, it's like, no, this is a great trade for America. They have so many arms dealers. Like there's a surplus of that position. We, you know, we're using our resources (laughs) wisely too uh too funny but no it's honestly it's great to see her come back and i hope that all of the news that this whole situation this horrendous situation for britney griner has caused will actually get some more attention onto the WNBA because they're doing some awesome stuff too and it would be great to kind of it's funny to see all of this commotion for it without having also support for the WNBA. so maybe you can you know work both ways yeah that would be great um any kind of closing thoughts here for the warriors anything that we missed look i think they've got the bones of a really great team like if you just took some of those crunch time losses and turned them into wins they would be like number two in the west right now so they've got the bones let's see how they do on this road trip and we and the front office and everyone's going to know a lot more about the warriors if they're like 14 and 19 coming back or something like that Yep, and I just go back to that stat that I pulled out. Um, their last 13 games, including those two disappointing losses, eight and five, even though a good chunk of those were at home. And I guess that's all. another silver lining is the Warriors have only lost two games at home on the season, um, mm-hmm. one of those being that very disappointing loss to Indiana. Um, this is going to be a great opportunity for them on this road trip to right the ship as far as being able to win games on the road. There's going to be a ton of opportunity for 
guys to step up into bigger roles as Clay Thompson's going to continue to sit out on back-to-backs. James mm-hmm. Wiseman's going to be continuing to play in Santa Cruz. So Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, you know, the floor is yours to kind of continue to grow and develop and, and show how you can contribute to this team. And hopefully the veterans can do a little bit of soul searching and figure out how to get some more motivation and fire and energy into these regular season matchups against some of these um, not as exciting opponents as primetime Celtics um, (laughs) action that we're going to see tomorrow. Yeah. But you know, maybe that Celtics, like that's going to light the fire that they need. And I would love to see the road warriors come back. Let's, let's turn the season around. I'm ready for it. They're on the right, they're on the right path and they can do it. I agree. Well, cool, man. Corey, it's always great to have you on the show. Appreciate your time, as always. Thanks for having me on, Sam. Go Dubs! Excited to see what happens for the rest of December. All right, man. You take care. You too, bud. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast. Sports Ethos presentation. If you haven't already, give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Let's go Dub Nation.